Reformed Church. But a great place to start is Ephesians chapter 4, is we walk in our minds. We walk in our minds, right? In other words, that, that is how, that's how we walk in this world. You walk in your mind, right? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 17. I'll turn then if you want to go there with me, that's good too. 417 says, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer, listen now, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. How do they walk? In the futility of their mind. How, how, do, how do people that don't, do not know Jesus walk? They walk in their mind, but they walk in the futility of their mind. In other words, that futility there is the, the I mean, there's a couple of ways to describe that, right? But that is kind of like in the the inutility of it. In other words, right, that there's no, there's no knowledge of God in their mind. So they're, that's how they're walking. So it shouldn't surprise us, right, when people of the world say things and act a certain way, right? In other words, if you're among, if you're among people that are unbelievers a lot of time and you hear vulgarity and things being talked about and, you know, and, and so many things being predominant themes within a conversation of people in the world, that, that ought to not shock you, right? I mean, I wouldn't say go ahead and stay there and just keep listening to it, right? Sometimes you just got to get up and walk away and say, you know what, excuse me, I got to go to the bathroom and take an extended leave from the conversation, right? You, there's, a, there's, there's ways to do things in a proper way, right? But um, they, they walk, right, in the futility of the mind, which is really, it's the absence, or he actually describes it here. Verse 18 says, having their understanding darkened. Darkened means they don't know, right? Ignorance, right? They don't know. It says being alienated, from the life of God. So the way the world walks, the world walks in the futility of their mind and because of the ignorance that is in them, right? Actually, it says right here, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart and mind. So in other words, we walk, we walk the way we occupy, um, carry ourselves in, in this life, right? is in our mind. That's how you're walking. You're walking in what you know. So what happens when your mind is filled, right, with the knowledge of God and the things that he has done and everything that he has given you that pertains to life and to godliness, right? Life and godliness. Everything that pertains that has anything to do with life, with the life of God, you have in you. Everything that pertains to that life. Not the life of this, not life like, in other words, this life, day to day. I'm talking about the life of God. Everything, Second Peter says, everything that pertains to the life of God and to godliness, right? Godliness is a gift. Godliness is not something that you try to muster up yourself, that you're going to try to be polite and try to be kind and try to love and try to be faithful and try to do all of these things, right? Those are all fruits of the Spirit we know from Galatians, right? So, so life and godliness, th those are gifts to us. We have life and we have godliness. When people walk in the futility of their mind or when a Christian walks in the ignorance, right, because you, 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 your mind is not fully renewed yet, right? That's why Romans 12 talks about the renewing of our mind. So that means that your walking is very much like that, right? You walk in the wisdom of God and you walk in the ignorance that is still in your mind, right? You walk both. That's why you do things that are silly things to do. That's why you do things that you don't even agree with sometimes. Why? Because you're walking in your mind. You're walking in what you know. So if you, if you remember and you continue to behold the perfect law of liberty and you continue to behold the glory of the Lord as in a mirror and you're not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, James says, we'll go, we'll go there in a little bit, right? Then what happens? That's what you're walking in. You're, you're walking in that. In other words, the Spirit of God, you're walking in the Spirit. Remember that, right? walking in the spirit right not in the flesh but you're walking in the spirit but right your mind is part of your flesh 
and the unrenewed portion of your mind, we tend, we're, we're walking in that, right? Now, an unbeliever or people that don't know Jesus, they're alienated from the life of God. In other words, they have no access to the life of God that we have been given. So that, that's part of the reason why as a church and as Christians, we want to tell the truth to people that don't know Jesus, right? Even today, that's not a popular thing. I, I never believed that I could ever say that. I never thought that I could ever say that, right? But today, that's not a popular thing to tell people the truth because everything is about, oh, you don't want to offend anyone. How about if they're a Muslim? How about if they're Hindu? How about if they're here or there? So it's actually become an excuse not to actually tell the truth about the gospel because you don't want to offend people in their beliefs, right? That, I mean, that's a crazy thing to me. But anyway, um, that's kind of where we are, right? You got to kind of leave people. I mean, you can tell when something is straight from the pit, right? When a doctrine or a mentality that teaches people that in order for you to care for them, you have to just let them die, let them perish. If you, I mean, that is exactly opposite to what Jesus did, right? He came in order to save us. What Jesus Christ, right? walking and ministering on this earth as he ministers in us, right? But just envision him ministering. Do you think he actually would withhold the truth to someone that would actually hear because he didn't want to offend them? Many people were offended. Actually, everyone that hated him hated him because of the words that he said. Jesus was not hated for the miracles that he did. Jesus was hated for the things that he said, right? Jesus was not hated because he healed a man. Jesus was hated because he said, right, that he was sent from the Father. He said that he came to be the Savior of the world. He said that he came to be the Christ. When he read Isaiah 61, he was saying, I am the fulfillment, right, of that scripture, right? I am he that you've been waiting for. That, was, that is what was offensive to people. It's not what he did, right? So, but he didn't withhold the truth because it would offend people. But we are people, not we, thank God, right? But, but people in this world are being trained in that way. The way that we could all get along and hold hands and swing back and forth like this and be happy on this world is just let people live and be who they are. And that means let, let them just go crazy by themselves and whoever they are manifesting themselves to be, let them be that and don't correct it, just love them the way they are. You, you ever remember hearing that recently? Love people just the way they are. What that means today is, what that means today is, see, before it used to mean minister the gospel to anyone, don't hold their actions against them, just love them the way Christ loved us and give them the gospel. That's how you love people, is give them the gospel, no matter who they are and what they're doing, people just need Jesus, right? No matter what sin they're manifesting in their life, people just need Jesus, right? Doesn't matter how prevalent something is, doesn't matter if they're addicted to drugs and their bodies can't live without alcohol and without drugs and without chemicals in their body, right? But, but they just need Jesus, they need to know the salvation that he came to offer. Today, Love them the way they are means leave them alone and let them die, right? That's what love, that's what that means today. Obviously, hopefully, we, we are, we're wise enough in the Lord and the things that he teaches us in, in, the, in the doctrine of Christ that we know that the way that Christ has loved us is that he manifested his love while we were yet sinners, right? He died, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly, right? So it's, it, God doesn't want us to live correcting people's actions, right? I, I can't hang out with you. You do bad things. You don't talk in a way that I like. You say bad words and you curse, so therefore I'm not gonna hang out with you because you know what? If somebody is willing to hear, I'm willing to hang out with you. If somebody is willing to hear the gospel, I'm willing to take time away from service, right? 
and, and, and be out in the fellowship hall and talk to you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you're going through today. It doesn't matter to me if you're a drug addict, if you're an alcoholic, if you're a prostitute. That doesn't matter to me. If you're willing to hear, I'm willing to tell you. It doesn't matter to me what you've done, right? In the past, I have either thought or done what you do, right? It doesn't matter to me, right? Jesus saved me. He, the power of God can reach and save to the uttermost. It does not matter what you've done. What you have done and do currently today is not greater than what Jesus accomplished on the cross, right? The power of God is much greater than anything that you could ever do. So please don't think that you have reached or you've done something where you're beyond salvation. Baloney. <laughs> there is no such thing as you're beyond salvation. The only, the only people that are beyond salvation are people that refuse to hear. Right? If you refuse to hear and you carry out the rest of your life that way, you're beyond salvation. Why? Because you're not willing to accept the salvation he provided. Right? It, it's, it's, a free, it's a free gift what the Lord has given us. But anyway, so Ephesians 4.17 talks about that, about people that walk in the futility of mind, their mind, but that means that they're alienated from the life of God. That's, that's the, the opposite of that is what God wants us to do. He wants us to walk in the enlightenment of our mind, right? He, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18, right? That the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened so that we could see the riches of the glory of God, right? So that we can see what he's done. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 20, let me read that to you. This is how it applies to you today. But you have not so learned Christ. In other words, you don't, you're not walking in the futility of your mind. Your mind is not absent of the knowledge of God. But you have not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him. You see who you've been taught by? Miss Lindsay said that she prayed for you when service before, before this time in service was starting. And she said that you would be open to receive what the Spirit of God is saying, Right? That he says, if you, he said that you, uh, but you have not so learned Christ, verse 2 says, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, right? As the truth is in Jesus. So, so we are not people that have to walk that way. You do walk. You will walk and do walk in your mind, right? That's how we walk. We walk in the knowledge of what we know. If there's a lot of ignorance, you walk in some knowledge and a lot of ignorance, if there's a lot of the knowledge of Christ and little ignorance, that's how you walk, right? So we are forever endeavoring to have the Lord teach us because we have the teacher in us. Miss Lindsay also, if you heard her say that, she, she said that. She says, she, she prayed, right, Lord, today we are not like those that walk in the world without any direction, right? We have the teacher in us. So wherever you go, where, wherever you are, whatever you're doing in your day, the teacher's right there on the inside of you. You may not be at church, but the teacher is right there on the inside of you. And who is that teacher going to exalt? Christ. Right? It says, he said here, if, if indeed, verse 2, you have heard him and have been taught by him, the one you're hearing is Christ and him crucified. That is the gospel that you're going to hear. Right? The things that, are, that you know easily are not according to Christ or the things that are not according to Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. In other words, if you start hearing a doctrine that says it's about what you do and it's about what you're doing for God and it's about, you know, if you are making a mess, then you have to lay in the bed that you've made. You know, all of those silly things that people preach, right, are things that are not according to what Christ has done. It's according to supposedly what you have to do. And you're going to see today that one of the encouragements that God gives to his church is say, I will lay no other burden on you than this one thing, that you continue in the truth. I will lay no other burden on you but that you continue in the truth. You hear that? That's God Almighty telling his church that there is only one thing 
one yoke, one burden, one thing that he puts upon us, and that is hear, listen, and overcome, right? You'll hear that clearly today. You'll hear that clearly. Clearer than I just said it loudly there. If we can go to Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2. If you need a little bookmark, I know people don't use their paper Bibles much day, but this thing comes in so handy to me. <laughs> it's there, and it always has awesome things to say right on it. You can take some right in the fellowship hall. Um, Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 1. To the angel or the messenger, right? To the angel or the messenger of the church of Ephesus, right? Um, one thing I want to encourage you in as we read through this um, this is, this is being written to, to the messenger of the church in Ephesus, but understand that he's saying, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit of God, what Miss Lindsay was praying, right? What the Spirit of God is saying to the churches, plural. This is a letter written to one church, but God's, God's desire is that it would be written, read by the church, right? Which obviously is what we're doing, right? It, it was saved for us. It was, it, it's written here for, for our admonition, right? So, so he says, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven gold lampstands. That is Christ, right? And, and that is made evident from chapter 1. But the one he's describing there is Jesus, who walks among the seven gold lampstands. In chapter 1, it says the seven lampstands are the seven churches, right? In other words, we represent, he walks among the church, right? Obviously, but Pastor Mike was talking about how Christ is. We, are, we have received of his fullness, right? And he fills all in all of us, right? So, so that's who he's talking about, him, right? And look at verse number two, what he says. I know your works. I know your works. What you'll notice is, I don't know how far we'll get today, but as we go through the church of Ephesus, the letter that is written to the church of Smyrna, all of the different churches, right? He says the same exact thing to every single one of them. I know your works. I know your works. He says it to every single one of them. And you know what he's really saying with that is, he is the one that searches the minds. He knows your heart. In other words, the work that he's talking about is the condition of the mind of the church. That's what he's talking about is. And he, he does go to describe also some physical works that the church is doing. But you know that the work that he's talking about is the condition of your mind. Like we just spent time talking about what we walk in, right? How the church is walking. Is the church walking in a lot of ignorance or is the church walking in some ignorance? That's why the Lord, Lord has raised up this church with the message that we preach today, that we preach here and also online so that people in all churches, don't care what church you attend or where you go, that the eye of every pastor and every church can be open to the truth to go back and return to their first love, right? That they, we would all, as a church, no matter what, what denomination you call yourself by or where you go, that we would be people that would return to the gospel. Just the gospel, right? Just the gospel. So he says, he says I know your works. The, you know that he's talking about works there because he begins then to talk about how the, 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 in other words, the correction that you'll see that he makes to every church is about their heart. In other words, he's correcting the minds of the church. He never corrects the action. He's correcting their minds every single time. And I'll prove that to you clearly. But he, he says, I know your works. I am he who searches the hearts. I know the condition of your mind, and I want to correct that work. Right? So let, let, me, let me just show you something along those lines. If we can go to James chapter 1 and verse number 22. James chapter 1 and verse number 22. 
He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets. That was the second psalm Miss Lindsay was singing about, right? Let us not be people that forget. Let us not forget, but let us remember, right? Let us remember. Like, see, stuff like that is very important to me. Why? Because I can hear, right? We can hear. I know the voice of my shepherd. And I can hear when I'm standing there and I'm worshiping and I'm singing. I'm not trying to see how I can sound really cool and how this side can clap and this side can sit up and stand down and do this nice choreographed garbage, right? I want to listen. I want to hear while I'm singing. It's not about having this fun little joyous time and have a tambourine and, and make all this noise. It's, worship is a time that you can be taught, right? It's about being taught. It's about being ministered to. Right? It doesn't have to always be soft or hard or it could be any kind of music, it's, but it, it's when the words are intended to minister to you. It's like you praying, right? When I'm singing, I'm praying in a melody, right? And praying, you know very well, is intended, Pastor Mike has a series called The Purpose of Prayer, right? It's intended for you. It's intended to lift you up. It's intended to be a prayer of faith, right? Based on knowledge, right? Prayer that is not a prayer of faith does nothing, right? That, that's clear, right? If you pray, but you're not praying in faith, it does nothing. It's not like you can, prayer is not a time to complain. Even though you can tell the Lord the things that are wrong, but you can ask the Lord to teach you what is right. In other words, you, you can just come to God and say, you know, Lord, there's things going on in my mind, but I, I don't agree with them, and I need you, Lord, to teach me what is right, what is good. In other words, you're acknowledging in, 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 even in your prayer, you're acknowledging the mind of Christ in you. You're acknowledging the teacher on the inside of you. You're acknowledging him as your truth. But just because you, if, if you don't acknowledge anything that you have and you just start complaining and wailing and doing stuff, right, but you're not acknowledging, in other words, there was a time where people used to cry out to God for a savior, right? But God has answered that prayer, right? We're, we're still not waiting for the salvation to come, right? Salvation, Miss Lindsay said, is here, right? I mean, I don't know what Christians are waiting for, right? I, we cry out sometimes like we're waiting for God to do something, but salvation is here and he lives in me, right? Salvation is here and he lives in me, that song says, right? Salvation is here and he lives in me. He says, verse number 24 says, but he who observes himself goes away and he immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Verse 25 says, but he who looks, listen to this now, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, this was the second song, I believe, right? But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. What did you just hear there? Continues in it. Those that are my disciples, Jesus said, are those that continue in my word. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. What happens to people in the parable of the seed and the sower that hear and forget and never return? Right? They, they get caught away. The word is, is stolen from them. Right? They forget. They walk away. They, they begin to taste of the goodness of God, and then instead of continuing, they walk away. Why do we, what, what is it one of the things, one of the primary things that we admonish people in? Continue. Continue, right? He says, he said, he who, uh, verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the what? Work. A doer of the work. A doer of the work is one that continues into, in the perfect law of liberty and is not a forgetful hearer. That person is a doer of the work. That person is a doer of the work. What was it that the Lord was saying? He says, I know your work. I know whether your mind, right? When I search the heart, the Lord says that when he comes back, 
He says, will I find faith on the earth, right? What is, he, what is the Lord looking for? What, what was he looking for when, when the Lord was ministering and the men came in with, with the lame man? I believe he was on a stretcher. I don't remember exactly right now off the top of my head, but that, my mind is going back to that, right, where he saw their faith. He saw their faith, right? What is the Lord seeing? Your faith. What, what is faith? Where does faith come from? Hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the good news of the gospel as the truth is in Jesus, right? What do we have to frequent? What do we have to continue to look at daily as your, as your mind is getting bombarded in the world and bombarded over the news to instill fear and hatred and sinful things in, into your mind? How do you, how do you combat that? With the truth. With the truth. And yes, you have to be, you are, nobody else is in charge of your heart than you. And if you don't guard your heart, nobody will. If you don't guard your heart, nobody will. Right? If you want to fill you, if you think, oh, but there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know, I, I used to have this discussion with relatives of mine every once in a while. What, where, you know, they think that the way that they learn always is through TV. Well, you know what? You may have not had a great education growing up in school, and maybe you learned a lot of things about nature and things like that through television. But don't, you know, television is not a great teacher, <laughs> right? That is not what you want to base the things that you learn and think that God is going to speak to you through television. Now, you know what? He can remind, you could be reminded of things as you're watching something, right? But you have the teacher on the inside of you, right? You don't have to go as far as to think that you have to get spectrum to, to, to kind of wire in Jesus and the gospel into your house and that you're left without recourse. Listen, you could be without spectrum, without a Bible, in the middle of a wilderness with no people, and if you have the teacher on the inside of you, you will still grow, right? Abraham didn't have a Bible, and Abraham didn't have spectrum one, and he still heard Jesus, right? And he is the father of the faith. Right? So let us not think that we are so, I don't know, because I don't know what you know, and I haven't known Jesus this long or that long. And you try to make all these excuses as to why you don't know, listen to him. Are you hearing him? Are you taught by him? Right? You have no need that any man teach you. You have no need that any man teach you. You have lots of need that the Spirit of God teach you, but you have no need that any man teach you. If somebody gets up here in their flesh and they're teaching you with, with carnal words, you have no need to hear any of that, Right? You could definitely be taught and we can share with one another the gift of the Spirit of God that he's put on the inside of us. You could always share that with people, right? You can share that with unbelieving people. You can share that with believers. It's an awesome thing to share the gifts of God that he has put on the inside of us, right? That's what the church is established so we can have that sharing time, right? But anyway, but when he talks about works, if we go back to Revelation chapter 1, he say, he, he's saying at the beginning there, he says, I know your works, right? I know your works. In verse number 2 of Revelation 2, Revelation 2, verse 2 says, I know your works. And then he talks about, I also know what? I know your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And that you, uh, that you, and you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. So he just described a whole bunch of stuff that these people were doing, right? Right? They were continuing. They didn't become weary. They, they, they were, they were uh, finding people that were saying they were apostles, but they were liars, right? But he said, you know what? In all of the stuff that you're doing, remember he's looking at your what? Your heart. He's not looking at your actions. He's looking at the condition of your mind. So don't read this portion of Revelation and think, oh, yeah, he's not talking to me there. He's not talking to me there. He's not talking to me there. Listen, to me, Lord, all of this applies to me. 
everything that he goes through here, I have pieces and bits of that immorality, all of that stuff in my mind and in my heart. And I need him to take and wash all of it out. All of it, every single bit of it, right? You're gonna hear in a second that one of the churches were, they were uh, taught, they, they had in their minds and in their hearts what he calls like the, the doctrine or the depths of Satan, right? That's people that are just indoctrinated in the ways of the world. And that they actually, just as they are still growing maybe in little bits in the knowledge of Christ or they become hearers of the gospel, people that are maybe not saved but are beginning to hear, they're still very much reliant on the way that this world works, on the basic things of the, of the way that this world works, right? In other words, in the day, as they live without being saved, right, that time that they're living in, right, they're ruled by the prince of the power of the air, right? In other words, it says the, the, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Who are the sons of disobedience? Well, people that don't obey. Well, what is our obedience? Faith. So, so sons of disobedience are people who don't believe, Right? We that obey, we are obedient to what? Obedient to the faith. Obedient to that doctrine that we received, the doctrine of Christ, the gospel, right? When you're obedient to the gospel, you are not a son of disobedience. Just because you do something wrong, it doesn't mean that you're a son of disobedience. It just means your mind needs to be corrected. That is what God does over and over again in these. He's correcting the hearts of them. And he says, I, I see everything that you have done, but I know your mind and your heart. And he says to him in verse number four, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. You have left your first love. Remember James we were talking about? When you behold the glory of the Lord as in a mirror, in other words, you're beholding the glory of Christ, everything that he has, what he has seated at the right hand of the Father, who he is, what he's, what he's received from the Father, the inheritance that he has of God, and then you find out that you're a joint heir with the one that is the heir of heaven. The Son of heaven the son of heaven, I'm an heir with the son of heaven. He has made me a son of God as well, right? Sons and children of God, right? We are heirs and joint heirs with him, right? So if you're not beholding him, you don't know what you have, right? Because you should, you should understand your inheritance, right? You have one, you should know what it is, right? So, so here he says, you have left your first love. You, you have beheld and you have seen, but you have forgotten. You, you know, listen, do you, you know what that looks like in real life? That looks like people that are very busy about the things of God, but have forgotten the love that saved them. They have gotten so busy about doing stuff that they have forgotten to walk according to the way that they were saved. Listen, Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 6, he says, as you have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Remember we were talking about that you walk in your mind? He's saying as you have received Christ, how did you receive him? By faith in what he's done. That's how you receive Jesus, by faith in what he has done, right? That's how you received. That's how you were saved. You weren't saved because you did something good. Listen, the smartest thing you did was listen to someone that was giving you the gospel. That's about as bright as you got, right? That's about as smart a thing as you could have ever done is listen to someone, being willing to hear, right? People that continue in disobedience are just people that refuse to hear. They think they don't need it, they have it figured out, whatever it is, right? But it's not, right, because sometimes we try to minister to rich people by saying, oh, you just have to come and receive Jesus so that you can know what real fun is. They could be having more fun than you, right? So it's not about trying to minister to somebody, telling them that their life is miserable. They could be pretty satisfied with the millions that they have, right? It's about teaching them that you think that you're rich, 
but you are poor, naked, and blind. There is a difference between how God sees you and how you see you, right? So, so the people don't recognize their need because some people have their own built-in Savior. And for somebody, their built-in Savior could be their spouse. Their built-in Savior could be their money. Their built-in Savior could be their career. People have built-in Saviors in this world, and they walk around confident and cocky as can be, right? But that doesn't mean that they, that, that is actually real, right? That's carnal. That's passing, right? That's shakeable. That's not unshakable, like the kingdom that we're of, that's shakeable. Everything that you rely on will fall through your fingers, right? People need to understand how shakeable the things are that they're relying on so that they can see the salvation that they actually need. But when somebody does not recognize their need for a savior, they're not, they, they won't hear you. But here, here, what happens is when you are willing to hear, right, and you have heard and you were saved, he's, he encourages them and say, walk as you have therefore received Christ, so walk in him. So you can walk in the way, in the same way, with the same mind that you had that saved you. Here he says, you have left your first love. You have left your first love. Now, left is an important word, right? Left where? How did I leave? Did I walk away? James says walk away, but how do you walk away? How do you walk away? How do you leave? If you have been beholding, how do you leave? You forget. One of the songs that we were singing was about not forgetting, right? I will not forget, right, what you've done. That's why we attend church. That's why we hear messages like this. That's why we attend to the gospel, right, so that we can be people that are reminded that hear that know, right, hear that know. So he says, remember, verse number four, five, sorry, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. In other words, where did you let go? You let go when you, you got too busy about the business, quote-unquote, on God, of God that you thought was his business, and you just got a little mixed up as a church, and you thought that it was about what you were doing instead of what God was doing in your heart, right? It's about what God has done and what he can teach you in your mind. It's not about the number of people. It's not about the, the, the clubs that a church has. It is about the truth. Most people do not prioritize the truth as the single reason for attending a church. The majority of people will go to a church if the coffee is just right, right? Oh, you mean to tell me I can sit down and I can sip cappuccino? Then there's nothing wrong with that, right? Nothing wrong with that. It's just not, listen, I, if I can go, if I can go to a church that is going to teach me the truth but it has no cappuccino, I'll go there. If I can go to a church that is going to teach me the truth and I can have cappuccino, great. The cappuccino is additional, right? The socialization in the groups are additional. The gospel is primary, right? But, but that's not how we do it. You'll be surprised the questions that we get. Oh, I was just calling. We get calls all the time. Oh, do you, you know, just calling about your church, right? Do you guys have a this group and a this group? No, no, we don't. But, but we do preach the gospel twice a week, right? And we send you articles to our subscribers and we encourage you to do Oh, okay, thank you. Thank you, right? Because because you don't have the singles group or something, right? But so anyway, well, I'll get off that. So he says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. Repentance is not of your actions, right? Repentance is of, of your mind. Repent means change your mind. And you can't change your own mind, right? And obviously you can tell from people that are in prison, right, and don't have the gospel. You, you don't lock somebody up and then they just change their own mind, right? That you let them go and they'll go right back to doing the same stuff because nothing changed, right? Their mind and what they thought was right and the excuses that they had for doing what they do are still in there, right? They're still in there. So people are not reformed because you lock them up. I mean, still, people need to be locked up if they need to be locked up. But the point is, that's not where reformation comes from. Renewal of the mind can only come by the Spirit of God. Jesus Christ is the only one that can change the human mind. 
And he will not only change it, he'll renew it and make your thoughts like his thoughts and your ways like his ways, right? But he says, repent and do what? The first work. Remember he said, I know your works. Here he says, repent and do the first works. What was the work? Hearing. Hearing. That, that was the first work that you did. In other words, the first love is talking about it. Miss Lindsay actually quoted this verse. 1 John 4, 19, I'll just quote it very quickly. It says, we love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. So when you're hearing about the love of Christ for you, right, I'll give you another verse. 1 John 4, 9 says, in this is the love of God. In this is the love of God. In, in this, sorry, in this the love of God was manifested toward us. This is how the, the love of God was manifested toward you. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. So you know the love of God because you know and you have heard the gospel about the cross. When you forget Christ and him crucified, you've left. You've walked away. In other words, now I got saved by the knowledge of Jesus. He, he the God, the father sent his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life, right? That's where God wants to get this church, right? This first church in Ephesus, the letters that he's writing to him, I want you to have life. How can they have life, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, corrupt, die, but have what? Life. Have life. Today and tomorrow. Not just tomorrow, today and tomorrow. And I'll, re I'll prove that to you also and substantiate that, but today and tomorrow, right? So what he wants to get them to have life, what do they have to do to receive life? Or to partake, Ms. Lindsay also preached, right? Partake. He, he has also made us partakers, Second Peter 1 talks about. Partakers of his divine nature. He, he said he has given us, us everything that pertains to life and godliness and has made us partakers of the divine nature that he has already given us, right? Right? That, that's, that's chapter 1 of Second Peter. He says... He says, go back, repent, and do the first works. He says, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. In other words, a church cannot be established unless a church, right, is admonishing those believers, right, in the gospel. And if it doesn't, it shouldn't exist, right? People should leave there and go somewhere else, right? There's probably more to that anyway, but verse number six says, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans or the Nic Nicolaitans, or however you pronounce that, right? The thing is, is, he says, you hate their deeds, which I also hate. What you'll see really quickly, uh, Brother Andrew, we're not going to stay there, but we'll come right back. If you can go to verse 15 of the same chapter, verse 15, it says, thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which we just said, which thing I hate. What did he say? The doctrine. Here he said the deeds, right? If we go back again to verse number six, he says the deeds of them. What he's talking about is their doctrine. So remember, the Lord says, I know your heart. I know your mind. He said, I, I, what you have done, he says, I have this thing against you. I have this correction for you. As I'm looking at your heart, I'm looking at this correction for you, Right? This is how your mind needs to be reformed, right? This is how your mind needs to be reformed. You see a purpose for reformed church, right? This is how your mind needs to be reformed. You have left your first love. You have thought that, that, that service to me was about what you do. You have forgot that it is I who served you, and you, your only burden is for you to remember me. Remember what I have done. I will work the work. I will work the work, right? 
It is God, right, who gives the desire and the power to do what pleases him. It is God that gives not just the desire and then tells you to do it, the desire and the power to do it. The power is not of you, but the power is of God, right? That the power would be of God and not of us. That the power of work, right, would be of God and not of us, right? I don't know how to be a leader. The power needs to be of God and not of me. I don't know how to hear. I don't know how to listen. The power needs to be of God and not of me, right? I don't know how to teach myself. The power needs to be of God and not of me. I don't know how to love. I don't know how to be kind. I don't know how to care for people. The power needs to be of God and not of me. He's an expert at loving people. He's an expert at showing kindness. He's an expert at being faithful. He is an expert at all of these things. Let the power be of God and not of you. Remember the rich man that we said? is He has his savior with him. He doesn't, he doesn't think he needs a savior. Sometimes Christians don't think that they need a spirit to love. They don't think they need the power of the Spirit to be kind. They don't think they, so they get very caught up in the work of loving people, but have forgotten the one that said, I will love them through you. They are trying to be their own temple. They're trying to work their own body, right? If you've been hearing Pastor Mike's teaching on Wednesday nights about we the temple, you are, whether we understand that or not, the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are not your own person. You are not your own. You have been paid and bought with a price. He has purchased. Your body is called the purchased possession, right? So we are not intended to have this body, contrary to worldly belief, to do with it what we want because it's my body anyway, right? The world can say that, right? But it's actually not theirs anyway by themselves, right? But if you look at a Christian, our bodies, right, are intended to be instruments of righteousness, right? Used by the Lord to do all of that good stuff that needs to be done. So our, the only burden that God puts upon me is not how to figure out how to do everything for the world. I realize what he's already done for the world. I take advantage of that knowledge, right? And I'm taught by him to understand that. And the Lord will give me the desires to do it and the, the power also. There was a time when Paul looked on the inside of him when his name was still Saul. He looked on the inside of him and, and he found impotence, powerlessness to do the will of God. He agreed in his mind, that's good, but he found no power with which to do it. Today, we're not like that. Today, we have the desire and we have the power within us to also bring it to pass, right? That's why the Lord says, I will do it. I will do it. I will bring it to pass, right? I will do it, he says. So he says uh, in verse number five, remember therefore, if we can go back to verse five, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I'll come quickly and I'll remove your lampstand from its place um, unless you repent. In, the, in other words, he's admonishing them, change your mind. Let me remember what I have done and let me start working in your heart again. Go back and start again. Go back and start again. Do you know that that's what the Lord did? If you would have attended this church, probably, I don't know, it's been 18 years, right? I know you couldn't tell from looking around, but it's been that long, right? In this area, right? If you would have came when we first started, we, we sounded and looked like every other church. And you know what? We were packed to the gills. We were thinking about starting second services because we had no room for people, right? What did we do? The Lord took us and made us start all over again. From the beginning, teaching us according to, to the gospel, and that's it. And we were willing to make that trade to say, you know what, Lord? I, I need you to correct everything in my mind because I don't know how to lead, and I don't know how to be a pastor, and I don't know how to teach people that which is right. I was questioning, how do you even know what's right? How do you even know? I mean, when somebody asks you, well, Pastor Lee, there's so many beliefs out there. How do you know that what you're teaching is right? I actually didn't even have an answer to that. 
I do today, right? But I didn't have an answer back then, right? But, but, but today, it's very different, obviously. So the result of that is what you see. But I would stay, and it's not going to stay that way, obviously, but I would stay just like this until Jesus comes back, preaching just the truth and just the gospel. Whether it offends or people receive it or don't, I would pray that they would receive it, that people would go back and begin again. But you know what? Here it is. Here's what I also know. I understand the pressures of pastors and the fear that they have in starting over. You know why? Because not a single pastor, most of them, no one wants to rock the boat. And, and they, they can't afford to rock the boat, right? Because that's their livelihood. So I would be willing to work a secular job until Jesus comes back again. I, will build, I, could, I could be right beside Paul building tents forever if I had to, right? Until the Lord came back. So I don't have to live with the pressures of having a message that is geared towards people to not offend their hearing. I would rather give you a message that admonishes you and lifts you up and that the people that want to receive it can receive truth instead of trying to give people what their itchy ears want to hear or what their ears are accustomed to hearing, right? I, I understand a lot of the things that we preach as old as they are because we don't preach anything new, right? As old as the things are that we preach, you would think that people would be easily recognized, especially when you give them 17 scriptures to back it up, right? But, but that's not the way our minds are trained. Our minds are trained to listen to the same thing that we have been hearing, and what you just said didn't match what Pastor so-and-so said, so I'm rejecting that. Hopefully, if you reject something, you know why you're rejecting it, and your reason for rejecting it is better than that's not what Pastor so-and-so told me. But that you actually have biblical evidence to back up what you currently believe and to say, no, this is why I believe and this is how it is according to Christ and what you're saying is not according to Christ. I would take that correction, right? If you had a way to tell me that what I'm telling you right now is not according to Christ and you have a reason why it is according to Christ, but you know what most people's argument is? It's not according to Christ, it's according to what they see. Most people's argument against the gospel is not really at all based on what God says. It's based on what their eyes behold and their eyes see. So when you hear somebody tell you that you have eternal life and you see death, you contradict that in your mind. Oh, no, that must mean like spiritual death, right? Because, of course, it's not actual death because, look, people are dying, right? That's a bad way to believe. In other words, don't allow your doctrine the Lord who looks into your mind, he is searching for faith in Christ. In other words, knowing Jesus, the knowledge of God and of Christ, right? That's what he's looking for, right? There is no, that's a horrible excuse to tell God, well, I believe that because, well, that's what I saw. Oh, Lord, but that, that's what I saw. But I told you not to live by what you see. I told you live by faith, not by sight, Right? The church needs, listen, as lovingly as we can, the church needs to be taught not to live that way. When somebody argues with you or your own mind argues with you based on what you see, how can it be possible that we have life on the inside of us and that life can give life to my mortal body like Romans 8, 10, and 11 says, if I feel sick right now, that must not be true. Are you living by faith or are you living by sight, right? I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. And, and when sight tells you something, let Jesus teach you otherwise, right? In other words, the reason why he tells you don't live by sight is because sight is going to go contrary to what he says. I would rather live by what he says than what that says. Let's listen to the correction that the Lord has, which is always good. He says, verse number six, but this you have, this the Lord likes. He says that you hate the deeds or the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, right, which also I ate. 
I hate. Verse number seven says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He says this next part to every one of the churches. To every one of the churches, he says, I know your works. To every single one of them, he says, to him who overcomes. To him who overcomes. He says that. That's important, right? If to every letter in the book of Revelation, he says to him who overcomes. And within all the gospel and the writings of Paul, right, and the letters to the churches, right, the Lord constantly talks about overcoming, right? That must be an important thing to know. If I overcome, how do I overcome? How do I overcome? He says to him who overcomes, I will give, I will give to, to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I will give to him from the, I mean, we have to make sense of that, right? Lord, what do you mean that I over, if I overcome, you'll give to me to eat from the tree of life? You know what that's called? Eternal life. What he's talking about there is, if you overcome, I will give you life. If you overcome, you will receive life. Let me show you. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 22. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 22. He said, then the Lord said, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil, and now, lest he put out his hand and also and take also of the tree of life and eat, and what? Live forever. If he eats from the tree of life, he would what? Live forever. What is he talking about? Eternal living, eternal life. If you eat of the tree of life, that equals living forever, right? That equals living forever. He said, if you overcome, I will give to you to eat from the tree of life. L- let me show you a little, about, a little bit about overcoming. Look at, look at um, 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. What, what I want to show you is all, the, all, the, um, all of the admonishing that the Lord is doing to the churches He's, that is correction for us now to receive that life now and then. Th- th- let me give you an example. There are people, I told you, we walk in our minds, right? We walk in what we know about Jesus. What we know about Jesus is what we manifest by the Spirit of God that is in us about the Lord, right? If, you, if you're a person that is acknowledging and knows and you grow in the life that you have, you will manifest those things, right? We're, we are always manifesting something about the Lord in your life. There's never a time that you're completely unfruitful because you don't walk in the futility of your mind like the world does. You walk in the knowledge of Christ that you have and in some right, unprofitable thinking, which needs to be renewed, right? But you're always walking in, in what you know. Right? So the acknowledgement of God here is always to, the admonishing of God is to always to correct our heart. In Romans 12, he calls it the renewing of our mind. Here he's talking about the end of time will be the same thing. The end of the age of this age will be the same thing. People, there are churches that are suffering. People that attend churches that are suffering. And he says, remain faithful. In other words, the, the, the correction of God to the mind of an individual that he knows won't, will, is actually going to perish because of their lack of knowledge, right? In other words, listen, as far as I know, all of the apostles died physical deaths, right? But the reason why they're not alive today is because their knowledge is not full, right? If they knew God fully, they would receive fully. If they know little, they receive little. If they know medium, they receive medium size. If they know extra crispy, they receive extra crispy, right? It's according to your knowledge, right? What you know is what you experience in your life. 
Paul wrote things I'm sure that he didn't even understand fully what he was writing. John saw things that he himself didn't even know fully what he was seeing, but the Lord said, write it down, so I wrote it down, right? These were men that grew in the knowledge of God and experienced great works of God through them, right? In other words, God was actively working through them, but obviously death to their own to their own, by their own words, it says death was also still working in them, right? So God doesn't discourage. It says God does not plan and desire the death of his saints. I mean, that would be ridiculous to say that, right? That God wants to kill you. No Christian would ever say that, but that's obviously what we say, um, you know, between the lines. God doesn't want to kill anyone. God is not plucking flowers to bring you to heaven, right? If God wanted you in heaven, he would just take you. He took Enoch, he can take you. He doesn't have to kill you to take you. He could just take you. Right? And you can go be with Jesus. Didn't have to kill your body to take you there. The Lord loves your body. You know what the Lord says about your body? That he cares for it and nourishes it. Doesn't mean that he kicks it around like a soccer ball. He says he loves your body and cares for it and nourishes it. That's God's desire for his temple. You don't see that example in anything that God does. That he would just corrupt and destroy his temple in order to bring you to heaven. Like he really needs to do that, right? Obviously he doesn't. So, so what his correction to them is if you overcome... I will give you life. Here he says to them, if you overcome, I will give to you to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So what he's saying there in correction to them is, I know what you do, but I know the condition of your heart. And he says to the first church he's saying here, you have forgotten. You were saved and you have not continued in it. But because he's writing to the messenger of the church, right? That means that the entirety of that church is walking in the same ignorance, right? In other words, these churches are being led that way in ignorance and maybe loving ignorance and with, you know, a good, you know, I mean, all of the things that this church was doing, some of them, the things he, he said in verse number two, your labor, your patience, you can't bear those who are evil. You, you have tested those who say that are apostles and I'm not. You found them liars. You persevered. You have patience. You labored for my namesake, all of this stuff. But all of that work is nothing. All of that work is nothing if we have forgotten our first love, right? We're just working ourselves Right, working ourselves mad trying to do. So, but we would judge a church like that. Wow, look at what they do. They have this going. They got a soup kitchen. They're feeding the poor. They're going to China. They're doing all this stuff. They got this going. They have that going. They're all this stuff going. But the Lord says to them, look at what what a a sharp, innocent, loving correction that is to them. So gentle. You've forgotten how I loved you. You have forgotten how much I have loved you, and you've left that. He said, change your mind about that, and the rest will take care of itself. Change your mind about that. He's saying to that church, or else I will come and remove it. I will remove you, right, unless you change your mind, right? That's, that's very loving, a very simple thing to do, right? He has not overburdened them. We, we didn't get into, we're going to continue this, and I'll show you. To one church, he tells them, you'll eat from the manna. Another church, he, t- he tells him, he tells him, you will overcome and you'll not be hurt by the second death, right, with judgment, right, with the judgment really of the devil and his angels, which we're not going to get into a bunch of that stuff, but, but uh, he lovingly tells him, you have to overcome. Let, let, let's finish up where, where I told you in 1 John 5, 1. And we'll probably stop there. 1 John 5, 1 says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Stay, stay with me here so you can read this, right? I just, I, I pasted it here so I could just turn to it quickly. 
Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So if we raise our hands right and we say, yep, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, then that means you're born of God. You are born of his spirit, right? And everyone who loves him, everyone who what? Loves him, loves him. That means that if you love him, you believe that Jesus is the Christ. So he's, he's using that synonymously. Whoever believes is he that loves him, that loves him. So you can, you can tie together, and 1 John is awesome at doing that. You can read the entire book of 1 John, and you'll get a decent understanding that, that our obedience or our love for God is faith in Jesus, right? That's how you love him, right? He loved you by, by sending his own son. You love him because he first loved you, right? So you believe what he did for you first, and then you love him back because of what he did for you. But the church thinks that the way you love God back is doing stuff for him. And God is saying, no, I want you to understand what I did for you, not what you have to do for me. I want you to know what I did for you, period. Stop there. You don't have to do anything else. That is the only thing that no other burden will I put upon you than that you know and understand what I have done for you. Major in that. Learn it. Stay there. Stop. Period. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Stay right there. Right? But we want to go off and do stuff by ourselves, like little children, right? Little children. You, you, you show them once how to do something, this is love. Oh, I can go do it. I can go do it. No, you don't know how to do it. You just heard me say it. You don't know how to do nothing. But children, in, people that are immature in their understanding, don't know how to say, I do not know how to do it, and I need you to do it, Father, right? They feel qualified to do it themselves because they've been saved. But you're not qualified, right? In other words, your flesh did not gain talents when you were saved. The spirit you have in you and the power you have in you will do it and will use your body for those works, right? And it will look the same. It'll look the same. You preaching the gospel can look the same as somebody else preaching, right? The difference is there is a difference between the spirit of God preaching and then somebody preaching by their flesh off the top of their head, right? There's a difference in that. There's a difference in that. So he says... Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot or who you were born from also loves him who is begotten of him, right? Um, and you know what? Let me make sure that I have the right translation for you. 5.1. I'll just read it out of here. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. Watch this, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. Remember, there's, there's a feeling that we have on the inside of us, a desire to love people. You have that desire. I don't have to, I don't have to, I don't have to know you personally to know that you have that desire. If you have the Spirit of God in you, I know you have the desire to love people because you have him in you and he is love, right? He, the, the, the first fruit of the Spirit that you begin to manifest when you're saved, right, more times than not, is love towards people, right? He says... Whoever, uh, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. What is his commandment? He said, believe, believe, he said, that Jesus is the Christ. That is the command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The second is like, is, comes from the first, right? The first is love God. How do you love him? Believe. You want to love God? I know you have a desire in you to love him more. How do you do that? Believe him. Grow in the knowledge. Return to your first love and stay there. Let him teach you, right? 
That's, love him is you believe what he says. God sent a savior to the world. If the world rejects him, they don't love him, right? If God's, God sent his, world to, his son into the world to save the world, if the world rejects his son, they don't love him, right? If you receive and believe the finished work of Jesus Christ, you are loving him, right? There is no other way for you to love God. You don't show love to God because you had a sense that, you know, you have to go and be a missionary to China so you go and leave. That's not you showing your love to God. That's not you being obedient to God. God is not the law of Moses. God does not tell you do it and then you do it. God, tells, God gives you desire and he gives you the power to do it. That is not the same thing, right? right? We, a lot of Christians still live like the church of Ephesus, right? Doing works but forgetting the first love. Right? God is not asking the church to do that. God has said, you stay and love me, and I will perform that work. I will do it. I'll minister to them. Right? Whether it be in song or in preaching or in, in having a soup kitchen or in feeding them, whether it's feeding the poor, doing whatever it is, I will, I, I have, I will give you the power with which to do it. Right? And you will be fruitful. But you cannot be fruitful, John 15, right? You can't be fruitful if, if there's no faith in him, right? If you don't return to that love, you cannot be fruitful. So he says, um, in, verse, in the latter part of verse number three, he says, and his commandments are not burdensome, and you'll see that in Revelation in the next service, right? He, you see, the Lord says, I will put no other burden on you than this. And he said, you know what he tells them? You that have not received and walk in the doctrine of that world, he, of the world that you live in, he says, I will put no other burden on you except just keep going. Keep going in that doctrine that you were saved and received, right? Keep going in it. Keep going in it, sorry. Um, let's wrap up here. He says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory. Listen, sorry, I read that very quickly. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Remember the Lord said in Revelation chapter two, if you overcome, I will give you life. I will give you life, I will give you eternal life in you, right? Here he says, he says, how is it that I overcome then? He says, he who is born of God overcomes the world. But he just told you in verse, two, in verse one who that is. He said, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So if you qualify yourself and you say yes, I am a person that believes that Jesus is the Christ. I believe that. He was sent, in other words, the Christ. The Christ means the, the one anointed by God, right? Isaiah 61 said, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, right, to preach the gospel to the poor. In other words, Christ was sent with the purpose of being the Savior to fulfill Isaiah 61. If you believe that he is the one that came to fulfill that, he's saying, let me teach you who I am and what I've done. And if you continue in that, he says, you will be born of God. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. World. And this is the victory, listen please, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, our faith. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he then that overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. What is he telling the church, right? The church of Ephesus and telling us today, stay with your first love and if you overcome, I will give you life, right? If, so that goes for someone that is not saved yet and has begun to hear. They want to have the eternal life of God. Keep hearing and you will be my disciple indeed, Jesus said, right? And you will receive life. 
That's, that's the same exact way that he admonishes the church of Ephesus and the same exact thing that he's saying here in 1 John chapter 3, right? He said, you will overcome, sorry, uh, uh, chapter 5, right? 1 John chapter 5. He's saying, who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You know what? There is, and I'll stop here, there is no other burden, no other thing that the Lord has put upon us. When Jesus said, you know what? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is really easy, and it is really, truly, truly light. It is all based on what he has done, and not a single iota of it is based on what you have done. See, see, what you have done is bad news. What God has done is good news. What you have done in your past is bad news. The Bible says that we're ashamed of the things that we used to do, Right? What God has done is good news. <laughs> so the good news is never a correction of your actions because I'm, I'm giving you bad news then, right? If I'm correcting your actions, that's bad news. You're a loser. You're no good. You, 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 you have, you're, you're all strung out because you don't stop and you keep drinking, you keep drugging and you're abusive and you talk this way and you do things to people and you're mean and you're obnoxious and you're lonely and you're poor and you're wretched because you're no good. That's bad news, right? But that's not the gospel. The gospel is good news. Actually, that's what gospel means, good news. The good news is not about the bad things you've done. The good news is that despite what you've done, Christ died for the ungodly. In other words, it doesn't matter what you do or have ever done. Jesus, what he has done is greater than what you've done. Right? Actually, the, the sacrifice of Christ and the, the, the power of the age to come that he has brought into this world is greater than the totality of the sin of the world, let alone just your sin. Right? It was the sin of the world that he carried. It was for the sin of the world that he was crucified. Not just for your sin, for the sin of the world. Right? For the sins of Hitler, the Lord was crucified. Right? For the sins of every dictator, every murderer, every person that has ever done anything upon this green earth in past days or in the current days, Jesus Christ died for that sin. So therefore, it is, is it possible? People say that sometimes. Is it possible for people to have been saved? Could Hitler have been saved if he would have turned to the Lord? I don't think he was. But let's say, could he have been saved? Oh, but you don't know, Pastor, say he killed so many people. Could he have been saved? Could the work of Jesus Christ on the cross have saved Hitler? Well, it was it enough to save you? Right? Because there were, Romans 3 said there were none that were good. No, not one. So I couldn't, in my disobedience and in my state as not having Christ, look at Hitler and say, well, at least I'm better than him. That's like, a, that, that's like the way Pharisees used to talk, right? Well, at least I'm not like, like this tax collector, like this prostitute, Right? But the thing is, isn't the truth, though, that I needed Jesus and so did Hitler? That I needed Jesus and so does the prostitute down the road? That not, I needed Jesus and so does this person and that person and every other person that manifests whatever they're manifesting in their life, they really simply just need Jesus? See, I, I know that talking about things like that, like Hitler and people that have suffered loss at the hands of other people is a very sensitive thing. But what we're talking about is not the works of Hitler. What we're talking about is the work of Christ. Is it great enough to cover the sins of the world? Then you are not far, are you? We hope you enjoyed this message from Reform Church. If you have, please share this with someone else and help us get this uncommon truth out to the world. If you'd like to support this good news, you can do so at reformchurch.com give. 
Also on our website, you can take advantage of our free messages, articles, and even full discipleship courses. Start reforming your mind now at reformchurch.com.